0: We're beginning uh, this morning episode two of a series called Ezra, episode two. Why am I using episode two And this episode is called God is Merciful? Why am I using the term series and episode? Because last week we introduced this idea that God's redemption story is much like a long-running TV series. By the way, the longest-running TV series, a scripted TV series, is 26 years. Now God's redemption story series eclipses that in time. It began in creation, in Genesis 1, it began with creation. And God's redemptive story series moved to then the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And then from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 until the present and until Jesus comes back because God's redemption story series will not have an end until Jesus returns. And so between that that fall in Genesis 3:15 and God's promise of sending a redeemer we have the longest running, the most important, the most vibrant, the most chin-chilling, spine-tingling, edge-of-your-seat dramatic series ever. Beats your favorite series, whatever one you've been binge-watching on Netflix. This series is authored by God himself. This series has one main character, and that is God incarnate. Though there are many characters down through the ages, this series is filled with seasons. We're on the Ezra season, but there are other seasons. And I invite you this morning, if you are not conversant with this series, go to the pilot episode, In the Garden, and watch it. And you can't ever binge watch this enough. This is really good food, unlike some of the junk that we binge watch on Netflix. But just like you would find a really cool series on Netflix, your friends tell you about, and you want to say, wow, I want to get up to speed for season whatever it is, so I'm going to start with the pilot and watch every single episode until I get caught up. Oh, friends, read the Bible. Learn the backstory. I'm going to be preaching Season Ezra, and I may be speaking of some characters and some things. You're going, huh? I don't know that one. Well, then find out. It's exciting. This morning, we're going to peek in on episode two of Season Ezra. Previously on Ezra, we find God's people. Going from captivity and entering into the promised land, if we can see the map. The reason that they were in captivity is because God was faithful to his promise that if they sinned against him, he would evict them from the promised land and send them into captivity. So in this map here, in 586 BC, God evicted them from Jerusalem. Here's the promised land and sent them all the way to Babylon. And then our season, season Ezra begins, next map please, some 50 years later in about 539 B.C., where God speaks to Cyrus, the king of all this area, the king of Persia, a pagan king. And God says, it's time for my people to go home. And so God stirs Cyrus's heart, and Cyrus in 539 B.C. issues an edict and says, Send these people back, the people beyond the river, to Jerusalem so that they might rebuild their city and they might rebuild the temple, the very place where God meets with his people. That's what season Ezra is all about. But listen, just real quickly, if you don't understand all this, can I just tell you real quickly that the pilot season was where God created man and God re- and man rebelled against God. And God said, I'm going to provide you a savior. And from the seed of the woman, a human, will come the one who crushes the head of the seed of the serpent, the one who deceived. And then just to catch you up a little bit more in season three, God says, you know what, from that human Specifically, these humans called Hebrews, he called Abraham. From you, Abraham, will come one who will bless the nations. And then moving up into about season seven or eight, God takes those Hebrew people who are caught in captivity, who are prisoners and slaves in a place called Egypt in the first Exodus around 1400 BC. And he says, now's the time to be set free. Now's the time that I'm going to fulfill my promise to Abraham and take you into the promised land. Because from you is going to come that Savior. And he raised up Moses, who was a picture of the one to come. And he gave them the law, and he constituted his people. However, once those people got into the promised land, and once they had a king, David, and and then another king, Solomon, who built this temple where God met with his people, and the Ark of the Covenant where where their sins were forgiven, and the brazen or the bronze altar where God met with his people, and they lived there, but they rebelled against God. And that brings us to right before our season, where God took them from this land in 586 BC and sent them to Babylon and evicted them from their land. And so the question hanging over our text today, the question hanging over season Ezra, kind of like those questions hanging over each season of your favorite series, is will God reconstitute his people? Will God rebuild his city? Will God rebuild the temple where his presence is so that from this people, the Jews, can come this promised Savior? Is it going to happen? Or will man's wickedness prevent God's faithfulness to his promise? And here is my prayer for you, dear friend. If you aren't knowledgeable of this redemption series if you don't understand what's happening here, if my words to you are like, huh, what's he talking about? That I pray that today, God would introduce you to the main character, Jesus Christ. It's God's call, and he will open your eyes at the appropriate time. And that you will be enthralled by this series. That you'll go home and start reading and watching all of the back series and all the back episodes, so you can catch up and really be conversant with season Ezra as we preach it. That's my prayer for you. And if you are in the redemption story, but it's gotten a little fuzzy with you, you know, you kind of got to go back and say, what happened in season five? We're in season here, 25, that you would become conversant with how God has redeemed us and the role that Ezra plays in this season to communicate to you God's faithfulness and actually this morning God's mercy so that it makes sense to you. That's my prayer for all of us. God is faithful. God chose his people. God is the one who has brought them back to the land now. And we are picking up the story in episode 2 in 538 BC. Today's episode picks up the narrative in Jerusalem. They are now back. And they're going to start rebuilding the temple. And it's the seventh month of the Jewish calendar A key month. This is one of those backstory things that you need to learn about. You may not already know, but the seventh month is very important. The seventh month is the month when the Day of Atonement occurs for the Jew on the 10th day. The seventh month is on the 15th day is when they celebrate the Feast of Booths. Go learn about it. Get caught up. So you can be an insider on God's redemption story and understand what's being said here. So we're going to pick up the narrative here in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, episode 2 of season Ezra. Hey folks, this is exciting stuff. Get your popcorn, snuggle up to the TV screen, I mean text, and let's join the action of the most compelling, chin-chilling, spine-tingling series ever. Listen, this is scripted, this is scripted, but not scripted by man, scripted by God. He's the one that writes characters into and out of the narrative, but it's a narrative that we're a part of. This is season 25. We're in season 525. But we're part of this. Let's find out what our part is. Let's find out about God's mercy. You ready? Ezra 3.1. Listen, it's hard to find Ezra, so if you need to use the table of contents, I'll pause for a moment. Humble yourself. Go there, find Ezra, get the right page, get there. It's a small book tucked in amongst other bigger books. It's in the first part of the Old Testament. It's a historical book. Ezra three. Verse 1, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Yeshua, the son of Jazedek, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil. These are key characters in season Ezra. And with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But, verse 6b, but, tension builds, the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So, they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrenians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that had, they had from Cyrus. Listen to episode one, last week's message, the king of Persia. Now, in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel the son of Sheatil, and Yeshua, the son of Jehoshadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Yeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of hinadad and the Le- Levites, their sons and brothers. Verse 10 of chapter 3. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, like we did this morning, praising and giving thanks to the Lord For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, the first temple, wept with a loud voice, when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout. It was really loud. And the sound was heard far away. Lord, I pray that you would give us such faith and such excitement that we would be addicted to this series, that we could not get enough of this series, that we would get caught up on this series, that there are those who would be written into this series today, your redemptive story, that you would give me grace to preach it cogently, compellingly, and that you would build your church. For This is truly your series. We're just a small part in it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In scene one of episode two, which is today's episode, we have Zerubbabel, the leader, and Yeshua, the high priest, rebuilding the altar of God. We see this in chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. In scene 2 of today's episode, we see these same two men leading the people to lay the foundation of the temple. Remember, in 586 B.C., God had destroyed the city, leveled it, destroyed this temple, leveled it. So they laid the foundation to the temple, and in scene 3 chapter 4, which we did not read this morning, opposition arises to halt their work. So let's go to scene 1, shall we? Scene 1, the altar is rebuilt and worship is reestablished. We see in verse 1 that it's the seventh month, probably late September, October. It's a key month in the life of Israel. It's a sacred month in the life of Israel. That's why people born in September are so special. Come on, Miguel. Where are you, Miguel? Becky? (laughs) But seriously, in the seventh month, in the fall, we have the Day of Atonement on the 10th of the month. but, But remember, these people can't really celebrate the Day of Atonement because what do you need for the Day of Atonement? You need the Ark of the Covenant. You need a temple. You need a Holy of Holies. There's no Holy of Holies. There's rubble. And then on the 15th of that month, they celebrate the Feast of Booths. And we note in verse 1 that there is tremendous unity at the end end of verse 1. They gathered as one man in Jerusalem. They were united. And even as we gather today as one man, we are united to see God's temple built and in some cases rebuilt. In verse 2, the first thing they did was build the altar on its former site so if we can show the map here of the city of jerusalem this is now jerusalem in the time of the second exodus this is jerusalem in around 539 bc notice how small it is it's the part to the right there it used to be much bigger the part to the left but and the place we're looking at today is up there where it says temple mount it's a mountain you always go up to jerusalem mount moriah Very important place in redemptive history. A lot went on there, starting with Abraham who sacrificed Isaac there. Actually, he didn't. God provided the lamb. It's the place where David purchased an altar where God then saved Israel and did not destroy them because of David's disobedience. It's obviously the place where Solomon built the first temple and the the bronze altar was there. They're going to rebuild that altar and and where the Holy of Holies was with the Ark of the Covenant. That was a place even the pagans understood, Wow, something special has happened here. And though it's in ruins, that's a holy place. It's like an Indian burial ground or something like that. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever places you can think of on earth that people consider a holy place to that religion. Well, that was definitely this in that then known world. So they go there, and the first thing that Zerubbabel and Yeshua build is the altar. It's called the bronze altar. This is, this is the altar that God gave Moses' instructions to build. Jot this down, in Ezekiel 27, 1-8. So you've got to go on this backstory. Go watch that episode back in season 2. It's the bronze altar, and it had to be built exactly as God told uh, Moses to build it. And they built it on the site where it had been. Now, that site, if we can go to the next slide, is most likely, this temple site, is most likely, now this is a replica. Obviously, no one has a picture of the second temple. Uh, It was destroyed in 70 AD. But this is a replica of the second temple. And if you see here in the second temple, this area kind of right in here, is where it would have been, where the bronze altar would have been. It was probably about four, four and a half feet tall, and maybe seven and a half feet, like a box, seven and a half feet large. Okay, that was the bronze altar. And this is the place, according to Exodus 29:43, where God said he would meet with his people. If you could show that text. Exodus 29:43, God saying to Moses, there at this bronze altar that, that Zerubbabel and Yeshua have, are going to rebuild here, There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. God is calling his people back to his promised land, and God is reinstituting the place where God's going to meet with his people. And it's at this bronze altar. It represents all that Israel is, the people of God, who meet with God at the place where sacrifices are made for their sin. As I mentioned earlier, this is probably the same site. It's certainly the same site where the bronze altar was in the first temple. The pagan people had maintained it. There probably was some like good, good luck charm. If you're having a problem, go to that site and something will happen for you. It, it, it but further back it 's the site that David built an altar to God before the temple was built. David, his son Solomon, built the temple. David built this bought this site, this very plot of land. When he had sinned against God, he rebelled against God in numbering Israel out of pride and presumption. And God sent an angel to begin to kill Israelites. And David bought this site at God's direction, at God's initiation. And God said, now I will hear your prayers and I will stop my judgment on you. And we find that in 2 Samuel 24, 25. It's in a previous season. Go back and read it. But I'll read this one section here for you. And David built there an altar to the Lord. Remember, the angel of death was killing Israelites because of David's sin. And he bought this altar, paid full price for it, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. It was definitely a place where you made peace with God. It was the burnt offering altar. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land. Because David was saying, please stop killing your people. It's my fault. God responded to his plea and the plague was averted from Israel. Oh, friends, don't you see? Don't you see? This altar points to a greater altar. This altar points to the altar, capital T, capital A, where peace with God is made, and that altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the point here. This is what makes this text sing, because we are in season 525, so we can understand here in season 25 that it's pointing to season 125. 500 years later, when Jesus will come in outside Jerusalem, and he will make peace between God and us. He will avert the wrath of God. The judgment we deserve will be stayed. See, that's, that's, that's what this is pointing to. Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the new altar. Listen, you could ask this question. Why isn't that second temple still here? Why did God allow the Romans to destroy it in 70 AD? Because that second temple was never meant to be the final point. There's not going to be a third temple. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the bronze altar. Jesus is the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is the place where God and man meet at God's initiative. Oh, this sings. This sings. This sings to us. And then if you look at verses 4 and 5, you see that as the bronze altar now is fired up, Maybe we can't do the Day of Atonement because the Ark of the Covenant isn't there yet. No mention of it in this text. I mean, the temple has not been built yet. But we can we can celebrate the Feast of Booze. Why? Because we're called to be a priesthood, a holy nation before God. When God constituted Israel, previous session, in Exodus 19, he says, I'm calling you to be my people to offer uh, to s- offer sacrifices to me, a holy priesthood. And one of the sacrifices is this one, the Feast of Booze. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. And they kept the feast of booze as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. So they grabbed their Old Testaments, and and, and so they're, okay, this is what it's supposed to be. Alright, that's what happened. Okay, let's see. On the first exodus, they came into the land, and when they came into the land on the first exodus, 1400 years earlier, God commanded them on the 15th of the 7th month, to, to spend seven days living in tents. Yes, tents. Those of you who like camping, this would be your favorite feast of the year. Not mine. Why do they live in tents? Because they were commemorating this. God kept us for 40 years in the wilderness. God kept us safe from all the enemies and all the thirst and all the hunger and all the scorpions and all the bad things that you have in the desert. And so when we get into the promised land on the 15th day of the seventh month, We're going to spend seven days living in a tent. We're going to cook on on outdoor camping stoves. Why? To say God's faithful. God is faithful. Oh, friends. Oh, friends. Don't you think that for 1,400 years, Jews have been camping out every year. And if you like camping, you loved it. If you didn't, you didn't. I would have been complaining. But the children of the good Jewish people say, Daddy, why do we have to go camping every September on the 15th for a week? And year after year, they celebrate it because they're saying God was faithful. God was faithful to Israel. And so they celebrated it for those 1,400 years. But this celebration was different. Why? Because these people are reliving the exodus. These people are coming back from the second exodus. These people firsthand know what it's like to be kept in the wilderness of exile in Babylon with a bunch of pagans who are after you. And they know what it's like to have God bring them from the wilderness of Babylon back into the promised land. So this year when they celebrate the Feast of Booze on the newly rebuilt uh, altar, there is a zeal because it's personal. Is it personal to you this morning? Or are you just celebrating what Christ has done on the cross because mommy and daddy said to do it? Because it's the right thing to do. Because historically this is true. Or is it real? Do you remember what it was like to be in exile in Babylon? See, for these people, there was passion. Previous to them, before the exodus, before the exile, those people that had lived in Israel for a thousand years safe and sound, they did it because they were supposed to do it. Good religious duty. These people, these people are doing what I was doing this morning. Man, I was jumping up and down this morning. You know why? Not because I'm better than you, because I was freshly aware of my sin. And I'm freshly aware of how gracious God has been to me. I don't care what you think, I don't care who's here. I'm shouting to my Savior. It's fresh. I love the way James Hamilton and his excellent commentary says this, as the returnees celebrated the festival of booze, they were not merely celebrating the way that God sustained their fathers through the wilderness in the first exodus into the promised land, 1400 BC. And they were not merely entering into the experience of the fathers. In addition to these things, they were now celebrating their own relieving of the exodus in the second exodus and their own experience of God sustaining them through the sojourn to the land of promise. May we do the same. However, with all that worship going on, there's still a problem. Verse 6, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So, with the money that Cyrus had given them, they pay workers to begin the work, which leads us to scene 2. Scene 2, foundation of the temple. This is found in verses 8 to 13. It's interesting in verse 8, it says, Now in the second year, after the coming of to the house of God at Jerusalem. In the second month, they start rebuilding the foundation. Did you know that the first temple was begun in the second month? Don't you see what's happening? Not only are we sharing the history of our forefathers in the second exodus, but in rebuilding the temple, we are sharing their history in the second temple being built. It mirrors how the first temple was built. And then notice in verses 8 and 9, this word supervise in verse 8 They're at the end of verse 8 to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And in verse 9, at the end of that verse, these men supervise the workmen in the house of God. This, This indicates how carefully they planned. This indicates how careful they were in the planning and rebuilding of the temple. May we be that careful in the planning and rebuilding of Palm Vista. May we care enough to really think it through. And we get to verses 10 to 13. And here in these verses, it describes a great worship session, a really loud worship session. This is not a Starbucks set. The lights are not low and people whispering with a little jazz artist, you know, just strumming his guitar. No, 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 no. This is an out-and-out out, blaring cymbals, drums, guitars, people dancing, people screaming, people crying, snot's coming out of their nose. I mean, this is happening, man. No one cares what they look like. No one cares what is happening. What they, they're just going, God! Well, let's read it. you got to think this way when you read the word. At least I do. Verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple to the Lord... The priests in their vestments came forward in trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. So what's happening here? They they are laying the foundation according to God's direction and God's word. And once it's laid, they're going to worship God according to God's word. We must worship God the way he tells us to worship him. David, who lived about a thousand B.C., maybe 400 and some years earlier, had written the psalms, and these psalms were to be read in the worship. So that's what they're doing. And they sang responsibly, and they praised God, giving thanks. And they did it according to what David told the sons of Asaph in his time. These were Levites that had a special calling. These were the musicians. These were the singers. These were the piano players. These were the ones that were skilled in that. They were called the sons of Asaph. And listen to what David instructed them, and listen to what they sang 600 years or 500 years earlier. First Chronicles 16, 34 to 36. This was written in a previous season, David's season. This is what the sons of Asaph sang to God, probably when David built the, author that aver- the altar that averted God's judgment through the angel of death. Probably when God said, I'm going to hear you now, and I'm going to stop killing Israelites. And when people stop dying, you're going, yes, the plagues averted this is what they said. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us. I mean, this was a for real save us. Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations so that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, amen, and praised God. It's okay for you to say amen in church. Thank you. I mean, after all, many of us are Hispanic, aren't we? We're not, we're never this quiet. We're not this quiet at a funeral. This is exactly what they did in verse eleven. Look at it, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. Probably sang this very, sighting here in First Chronicles: "For He is good; for His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel." Oh, friends, here is the main point of this text: God is merciful we're back. We don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to get us back. He's the one that stirred Cyrus's heart. Cyrus gave us the money. God is the one that's protecting us. There's people all around us. We're kind of a little bit afraid. There's this altar that the pagans even knew was a special place. So they had co-opted it for a while and they were using it to do whatever pagans do to try to get a little bit of luck from God, small g. But we're coming in, booting the pagans off. Boom, this is our temple Mount. And we're rebuilding the ark, and we've got the king's permission, and we rebuild it, and here's this seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot by four and a half foot high altar, and it's bronze, and there's there's smoke coming up from it, and we're celebrating. And and then we lay the foundation. And we're gonna worship God because of his mercy. Don't you see the application? Because all of this pointed to Jesus. Because Jesus would be the final altar, Jesus would be the final temple, Jesus would be the place where his people, that's us, who are called to be a kingdom of priests, offering sacrifices to God and declaring to the world the marvels, the excellencies of his grace in delivering us from darkness into light. In fact, Peter picks up on this, the apostle Peter who's going to write now over 500 years later in a season much later, writes this, borrowing from this imagery, borrowing from Exodus's imagery, the first Exodus and the second Exodus. Peter writes the following in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race. He's quoting here from Moses in Exodus. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we would what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. This is our role in this small story to open our mouths, to live our lives, as Corey said, our checkbooks, our time, our talent, our treasures. To say, I belong to God because He's had mercy on me. I worship God. I sing to God. One last thing. In the midst of the celebration, in the midst of all the joy, there were a few old men that were crying. It says that. It says it right here in verse 11. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Verse 12. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the father's households, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. And the ones that were shouting with joy, the young bucks and the old timers who were crying, you couldn't distinguish between crying and shouting. All people knew is something's happening up on that mount again. God is here. Why were they crying? Here's why they were crying. Because those guys remembered the first temple. Because those guys remembered how beautiful the city of Jerusalem was. It didn't look like that rendition I gave you earlier. It was shambles. It looked like South Dade after Hurricane Andrew. And I was there. And all you had was this one altar and the outline of a foundation. And they're standing in the midst of that one foundation, which is smaller than the original temple. And they're looking around. And they're looking at a city that is devastated. And they're looking at the number of people who came back on the second exodus, around 50,000. And they're remembering the stories from the parents that the the number that came on the first exodus, 1,400 years later, were 600,000 men. So the church is a lot smaller. And they're just crying. Saying, oh God, I know this is good, but I think about the past. And into that point comes opposition. No time to go into that opposition. Chapter 4, scene 3. Much opposition. In fact, today's episode, like many episodes end, end with the hero with a gun to his head as a hostage. (laughs) Is he going to make it? Because listen to what it says. Ezra 4.24, look at it. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped And it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. What happened in chapter 4 is their enemies filed a lawsuit in Artaxerxes' court, the king back in Babylon. It was a slanderous lie, it was an accusation, but the king believed it temporarily. He ordered a cease and desist order stop building. But that's not the end of the story. Oh, no. Because you see, God sent preachers to Zerubbabel and Yeshua. And these preachers, their names are this, Haggai and Zechariah. So you don't have to go there, but at the end of the Old Testament, second to the last book is Haggai and Zechariah, third to the last book is Haggai. Though they are separated in the text by many, many books, they preached at the same time that Ezra is happening. So while you're reading Ezra, read Haggai and Zechariah. And God sent Zechariah right at this moment, to encourage Zerubbabel and Yeshua, and to encourage the old men that were crying. And this is how he encouraged them, Zechariah 4, 6 through 10a. Zechariah is now prophesying, preaching to Zerubbabel. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Great mountain is the king. Great mountain are the forces of darkness. Great mountain is the unbelief. Whatever the great mountain is in your life, what is it? Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. It's going to get knocked down. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. The top stone was the final stone of the temple. Listen, Zerubbabel is going to build this temple and it's going to happen. And you're going to, on that day, in the midst of these ruins, you guys are going to shout grace, grace, when you put the final stone in the new temple. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. So Zechariah is preaching right at this moment. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know, you will know, you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small beginnings, oh, old men, old grouchy men, don't despise this day. Get a little better attitude. Smile. Don't despise this small day. It's not what it was, but it's mine, says the Lord. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The work will be completed not by our strength, but by the strength of God himself, by his Holy Spirit. The opposition to the work, which are accusations and lawsuits and slander, they're going to come, we're going to feel it, but we're going to look to God, and we're going to shout, grace. 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 Because God has established a place for us to meet with him. That place is Jesus. He has atoned for our sins there. His wrath has been averted there. This is the place where peace is made between us and God. That's what the bronze altar was. It was a place of the peace offering. Ezra 3 points to this altar of Christ. Our God is good for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what's on our lips. And that's the main point of this sermon, my friends. Let us worship our merciful God. Whose steadfast love endures forever toward us in Christ. We're not just talking about an exodus that occurred in the past. This is our exodus. We know where we were. We know how God found us. We know that he found us before we were looking for him. And he's brought us into the promised land in Christ. And we worship God by the power of his Holy Spirit. Because he sent the promised redeemer to rebuild the ruins of our life. And even our church and even this community. He will lead us home to his mercy. Because of the altar, the cross, and his victorious resurrection, and his ascension. Let's pray. Worship team, please join me. Lord God, I pray if there's someone here that does not know this redemption story, I've been talking just a bunch of stuff. They don't have a reference point. That today you would give them a reference point, and it would start with Jesus. If they don't understand anything else, it would be Jesus. Jesus is the altar, the cross is the place where peace has been made. Jesus is the ultimate once and for all peace offering. That we now have peace with you, Father, because your Son gave his life for us, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. And for those of us that know the story, but perhaps it's gotten a little cloudy, Lord, may we, as we sing this song, declare with one another. May we remind one another, those of us who are crying as we see the new foundation relayed, the altar rebuilt, and those that are just shouting, they have no idea what the past was like. They just know God's here. May we together make such a sound of praise to you to declare the excellencies of your marvelous redemption because you have taken us out of darkness into light. Friends, let's stand and sing Jesus Paid It All.